0: Welcome to the old-school meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. This meeting was born online, and it's going to stay that way. That means you can attend live on Tuesday evenings at 630 Pacific if you'd like to. Go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Rose and I am a compulsive overeater and anorexic. And I am extremely grateful to be here and so grateful that Stacy asked me to be here. Um, And grateful for a chance to tell a little bit of my story. I feel like I came by my membership in OA. I came by it honestly. which is to say that I, I grew up in, a, in an environment where I needed a, an anesthetic from a very early age. Um, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of um, trauma. Uh, my family was violent and then joyful by turns. So I did not grow up in sort of an emotionally barren environment. And I've known people who, who did grow up there and they, they really struggle with what, what what are these emotion things? But that was not my experience. My experience was that, especially when I was really little, we could have fun. You know, it could be birthday, and I would have the uh. Do we mention foods? Somebody can just say yay or nay. Yeah. Okay. So that we know the round thing. We we know the round sugar thing that people have on birthdays, and I lived for that. Lived for that because I knew that it would come, I knew it. And I I was in an alcoholic home. Of course, my mom's alcoholism progressed as it does and the violence progressed. And so I ran away when I started running away from home when I was probably about 14, I started spending the night at, you know, this friend's house and this friend's house. And then I would kind of string it out longer and as long as I could. And and then eventually I just didn't come back one night. Um, So, uh from an early age, I could just sense that there was trouble in the air. And when there wasn't trouble in the air, the way, the way we do as humans, right? Our nervous system is, is our nervous system. And so my nervous system started believing early on. If there wasn't trouble right now, there will be. So I learned to be on high alert at all times. Um, And I just remember enjoying food and it meant love. My mom was a wonderful cook, a Southern cook, and man, could she cook. She really could. And um, looking back now, I really can understand how important that must have been to her to be able to still contribute something that she could do well. And my heart, you know, really, really goes out to her. She's long gone. so anyway, you know, candy was big in my childhood, and my dad would hide candy. He'd buy candy and then hide it. And I got a little bit of a mixed message because he'd get these long strips of things that people from the '60s will remember, '60s and '70s, buy the Kano size of the bars. And then he would hide them, but because I was special, he would tell me where he hid them. So I thought that meant have at it, you know kind of put it in this drawer, but don't tell anyone else. There's a good triangle being set up with, right, other family members. So I would just go in and eat eat what I wanted. And it was always all of it. That's always what I wanted, you know. So I might not have eaten all four of the bars in one setting, but before the day was gone, I would. And then he would be, you know, disappointed with me. And I would get this look of, I'm disappointed. You know, I trusted you. So food was never kind of a simple, (laughs) simple thing. And it certainly was always more than a necessity of living. It was always extremely loaded, extremely important. And you know what? Thinking back, I'm grateful that I had food around because I, I needed something. I needed something to numb me. I really did in those in those early days and even in my teens. In my teens. Eventually, uh, when I did leave home, I stayed with a couple of family members and um started drinking you know became alcoholic joined the beverage program um but i do remember going to college and realizing that i had a a a cafeteria card which meant i could literally eat all the food i wanted as long as the cafeteria was open and i remember thinking man this is Nirvana this is Nirvana this will save me so i just i got the hours i knew the hours And between those hours, the idea that I could just get as much food as I wanted was was a source of real excitement to me and and numbed me because I, you know, you escape from the environment and then you you have you yourself that you that you bring with. Um, So uh, let me see. Binged a lot in college, uh, you know, gained weight, lost weight, gained weight, lost weight. I was never what would be considered obese, but I was overweight. I had, you know, three, three sizes of clothing in my closet, uh, which was very confusing. And I was always monitoring it. And I was always hating myself because I had to buy the bigger size and getting rid of it and going back to the smaller size. And then, of course, being a, a youngish woman and I'm in the performing arts, there was always a lot of discussion about our weight. Oh my god, you look so good. How did you do that? Oh, no, what are we going to do? We have this to do. So, lots of crazy making uh stuff. And uh, and I I was right for it. So up and down, up and down. Um in my let me see, my 30s, uh I was in a a period where I was really out, I was married and out of control of my in of my environment, like my living environment, in that we were we were running a business and we had to move twice a year and I moved like a real move, moving housing, finding new housing in another community, moving furniture, moving the broom, the pans, the whole deal twice a year for fifteen years, and I was a survivor of trauma. and I was depressed, and that was uh, not good, so I truly had no control of it. I I tried to talk to my former husband about it It wasn't going to change, and so I discovered, number one, that I was really seriously depressed. I think I remembered an article I had read. I was in the fetal position in bed at four in the afternoon trying to figure out how I would get down under 100 you know, I just weighed myself and I was trying to get under a hundred pounds. But I remember reading an article that said depression and had all these characteristics. So I asked my therapist, I think I might be depressed. And when I described it, they said, You certainly are. <laughs> you, you certainly are. So, um, and that was debilitating depression. So not being able to get out of bed, not being able to eat. And at that time, I also discovered starving myself. So the positive of starving myself was it got my former husband's attention and it got attention from even my fellow actors who, you know, we worship the God of thinness, but they suddenly were asking me if I was going to eat, you're going to eat, are you going to eat that? Um, are you, are you doing okay? So that was, that was kind of a sad, you know, and I was sort of, cause I couldn't, you know, couldn't get what I needed. Right. So I got, I got what, what was there, but, it really was all about control for me. It was, I, I, you know, I can't control, I can't get heard. I am literally really have to do this thing that I, I'm not able to do. And so I'm just going to keep cutting the food. And, and I just want to say um, right now, um, you know, sometimes I'll share in meetings and someone in the comments will say, you know, I used to wish I could be anorexic and um <clears throat> So you don't. You don't want to wish you were in. I had no fun starving myself. It was not fun. I was miserable. I was suicidal most of the time. Uh, I was thinking about myself constantly. I was not engaging in the world except to do what absolutely had to be done. And I was miserable. And I hated myself. So... Um, as I got a divorce and so on and so forth, didn't die, which is a good thing. Um, then as things kind of started to even out with depression, then I started to kind of eat sort of, at least eat again. And, um, and a few years later, my mother passed away. My mom, who had been my worst enemy most of my life, uh, became my best friend through uh, my being in, in the beverage program and using the 12 steps. Had it not been for the 12 steps, the same steps that we use in these rooms, I would never have had a relationship with my mom. Um, and she quit drinking, which was very helpful. So when she passed away in 2000, I was really PO'd. Do I have five minutes yet, Randy? And you're muted. So if you could unmute and just let me know how much time I have. You have another 13 minutes left. Thank you so much. Um, uh, yeah. So I was really mad at God because, oh, and my sister had died in there very suddenly. And I was depressed. And a year later, my sister died. A year later, you know, got divorced, lost pretty much everything material, lost my identity because they were all tied up with my former husband and we had worked together. So I lost that community as well. So anyway, and the gift was, I wasn't supposed to be married to him any longer. And God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And my life is much better now. And I want to be sure and add that happy ending, even though it took a while to get there, just for anyone who might be Uh, dealing with those kinds of struggles. It's incredibly painful. And it was ultimately for the best. But I was pissed off at God. I thought, you know what, God, I never even asked you for a relationship with my mom as an adult. I did my therapy. I did inner work. I did inner child stuff. I had given up on that. And what do you do? You grant me this wonderful relationship. She's my best friend and then she dies. So I decided I was going to allow myself to eat whatever I wanted. Whenever I wanted, I was not going to explain it to anyone. I was not going to apologize to anyone, especially men, because I was still burned for my divorce. And I just felt like if a man wanted to be close to me, number one, why would he? Because I was bitter. But if he did get close to me, I was like, what you see is what you get. And in a way, it was pretty freeing in a in a strange way, because I really just kind of said, yeah, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. So my life became pretty small. I got up, I lived in Chicago in a little postage stamp apartment. I would go to work, I would get through work eating what looked what I thought looked normal. You know, the old deal, the salad with chicken and, and candy, you know, and then about, I would get home and, and maybe seven or eight or nine, then I would start binging. And I would always go to any lengths to get my my binge. You know, the big book talks about going to any lengths for recovery. I went to any length. There was nothing that I wouldn't do in order to get my binge. Treatment. So that included for me going out pretty late at night in a major city in the dark uh, on streets that weren't lit all that well as a single woman and just looking for stores. And so I would go first to one store and buy up their bench food. And I, and of course I would make a, I'm having a party or, oh God, I can't believe I ran out of this, whatever. And going to a different store the next night, going to a different store the next night. And, and I would, you know, if for some reason, I I didn't get enough. Then I would eat whatever was in my apartment, and I mean whatever you know, popcorn out of the carpet. There, if there were popcorn kernels. There was stuff in my refrigerator that was so old I wasn't even sure is that yogurt, but I'll eat it. You know, um, eating out of the garbage, putting stuff away, and 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 then I would pass out. Basically, I didn't know that at the time. I'm passing out because in my mind I'm just doing what I do, and I you know, put on my nightgown, then I go to bed. But that's what I was doing. I was really eating till I was numb and gaining weight. But again, I had made a pact with myself about that. It didn't matter. And uh, I, I remember towards the end, right before I came in OA, and I came into OA in September of 2001. Um, but I remember my life had gotten so small that i wasn't answering the phone i wasn't really i did have friends in the beverage program but i just unplugged my phone and you know pulled the shades and i did not literally have time or energy for people i did not have space for life i just didn't it was me and the food and the job and the job was necessary so that i could get and uh I remember thinking, okay, this is really pretty out of control. I swore I got up this morning, swore I wasn't going to do this tonight, but I did it. I keep doing this, keep getting up in the morning and saying, today's a new day. I'm going to start. I'm going to start over today. If I just eat this, I'm going to eat normally today. I'm going to try to eat normally, or I'll, I'll eat more and then maybe I won't get it. So I knew, part of me knew this is, this is nuts, right? But I remember thinking, if this is what my life is going to be, if it if it's literally gonna be me rolling out of bed, slapping on some makeup, getting to work, slogging through work, um, getting home, eating, that's what it'll be. That's what it'll be. I said I remember saying to myself, as long as I have food in my job, I'll be okay. So one night. Eight minutes left. Thank you. One night, um my mental anguish was so bad. And it was at night after you no know, major binges, that it was that I thought I will die if I keep doing this. And I screamed out to God in my apartment and no one came and knocked on my door. And I still remember that thinking, I'm really glad something worse hadn't happened. But I screamed and I had been in the beverage program and I screamed to God and I said, you've got to do something. For me. You've got to help me. I don't know what you're going to do, but you've got to help me. Um, and the next day I I called away and I went went to a meeting, um, you know, food plan really, really helped me in the beginning. And I still follow one. my food plan has changed through the years. I've seen several different nutritionists. But those first four or five years, it was just critical for me. There's no requirement if you're new, there's no requirement that you follow a food plan. And certainly if you decide to, there's no one food plan you have to do. The only requirement for membership in Overeaters Anonymous is the desire to stop eating compulsively. A food plan, however, was critical for me because I realized I didn't know how to eat. I didn't know what people did. I just didn't know what they did. So that was very helpful. I got a sponsor right away. I started working the steps. Um, My abstinence, because we all want it and it's a little different for each, each person. Um, My abstinence is not binging, not starving myself, and uh, not eating sugar uh, for 21 years. And within that, you know, um, my food's not perfect. Um, I'm not perfect, but those bottom line um, things for me have, have been miraculous. They really have. And I do follow a food plan because I still don't really know how to. Um, the good thing is my, the general food plan has stayed the same. So, um, one thing I do well right now is I do exercise every day. Um, I've never been athletic. I was always the last person to be picked and they only picked me because they had to. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. You did not want me on your team for anything. So I grew up thinking I'm, I can't exercise. And then I found out, yeah, I can (laughs) I can walk. So I love to walk and I walk pretty much every day without fail. Um, This past year, uh, there was a resurgence of my panic disorder that had actually gone underground for a number of years and I started having panic attacks. So, one reason I continue to walk is because walking helps with anxiety and it helps me maintain my relationship and it helps with everything, right? My mental state. And it helps with my physical health and physical recovery is a big, a big part of what I do. I have a sponsor. I have a home group. um, And I want to share just in closing um, uh, about compassion. I, I like to keep redoing the steps right now. I'm on right now. I've been busy procrastinating on step two. That's the honest truth. That's what's going on. But my own decision i'm doing the steps again with my my new sponsor and um i went to see a wonderful guitarist um i don't know eric clapton i mean i don't think he's an outside issue but maybe he is so i was just besides my beside myself and i also was anxious about it because i have anxiety and i was talking to myself a lot before the concert started hey i want to be present for this my god you know. My partner spent good money on these tickets. I want to be present, right? So I got myself present and, the, you know, the, the opening act started and I was present and I was happy. And, and there was an empty seat next to me and we were in little tiny fold-up chairs. And just as, you know, the main act came on, a very, very large man came and sat next to me and pushed me a lot into into my partner and I was really uncomfortable and I could only see him out of my peripheral vision but I knew some things not to do Uh, I knew not to stare at him I knew not to roll my eyes and I just stared straight ahead Um, but I also am thinking this is really going to be uncomfortable and I don't even know I don't know what's going to happen because this isn't made for this right so I'm sitting there thinking oh god what if I'm not present and then all of a sudden Something came into my head, and I thought, you know what? I'm a compulsive overeater. I actually am in a program for compulsive overeating. Think of the hell this man must be going through. Think of the hell he must be going through. He bought a ticket right in the middle of the row. Maybe that was the only ticket left. He's got a drink. He's, he's kind of a little wobbly. Maybe he had a little bit too much to drink. But I'm thinking, man, if I, if I was out of control with my eating and I wanted to come to a concert, I'd definitely be drinking. I definitely would just push my way in and numb myself out and hope it was fun. And my heart just went out to him. My heart just went out to him. I thought, oh, for God's sake, Rose. So for me, I have 21 years in this program. I've had some successes. But it still took me a couple of minutes to remember, you know, what's on the inside of that person. And it really kind of broke my heart. Eventually he left and came back and left and came back. And it, and it worked out fine because most of the people were standing, and I ended up standing and he was sitting. But I had so much empathy for him, you know, and um uh I just really wanted to share that because I think I do think, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly we get this thing, right. But I do need repetition. I do need to work the steps. I do need to go to meetings. I go to a lot of meetings. I do need to keep doing the things maybe I don't feel like doing, you know, because I'm a slow learner sometimes, but um, I know that I am here by the grace of God. I just celebrated 21 years and I was in a meeting, somebody said, How'd you do it? And I said one day at a time because that's the answer we give and I knew that was the right answer. But then I really thought about it and I thought one day at a time and also it's a gift. Yeah. I didn't do it, you know, I did some things that that facilitated the possibility of receiving the gift. Um, so I really appreciate being asked to be of service, service I do for for me. And I love how this program is set up. I don't have to, I don't have to be in a good mood. I don't have to do it because it's the right thing. I just have to know that it's going to keep me, keep me in the rooms, you know, it's going to keep me um, on the right side of things. So uh, thank you so much for letting me share. Uh, that's all I've got.